Brilliant. Good afternoon. Isn't today absolutely brilliant? Oh, it's just, I'm just, I'm loving just being here, to be honest. Absolutely fantastic to be with you. Um, as I say, Love Life Central, great to be, I, I speak all over the place, but to be four miles away and not have to set the sat-nav in the morning has been wonderful. So it's great to be with you. And the first thing I, I want to share with you, first of all, thanks for coming to this. This tells me a little that you are good news people. Um, because, uh, because evangelist literally means a good news person. Um, and I work for the Evangelical Alliance, which is a good news organization because the evangel is the good news. And the first thing I want to do is talk to you a little about, by the organiz- about the organization um, that I've joined and ask you um, to join us um, as, as an organization. Um, because the Evangelical Alliance is absolutely amazing. What we do um, is, first of all, we are about unity. And we're about an organization, a movement made up of 3,500 churches, 17,000 individual members, over 600 organizations. One of those churches is Life Central, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, And we represent evangelical Christians at the highest levels of government. And so just one story to kind of talk to you about the importance of this. There was a bill going through Parliament a couple of years ago, um, which, uh, which would have meant, had it gone through, that Sunday schools, youth groups, and, and work in churches would have been, uh, would have been offsteaded. Um, and, that, and that would have meant that some of the things that, we'd have, we, the things that we're able to say now to young people and children and preach in our churches would have been held up to, uh, uh, under a microscope against British values, uh, however they are defined. And so to even things like the exclusive claim of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, might be, uh, might be viewed as a, as a non-tolerant statement, and we might not be able to make those statements. Now, that bill was going through Parliament, and organisations like the Evangelical Alliance represented the views of Christians like you and me, and said, this, is, this isn't right. We're, we are good news people in church, and we need to be able to maintain and protect our religious freedoms. We're also about unity and mission, bringing together churches, organizations of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, denominations, um, to make mission happen in the country. Um, And um, and we're we're only as good as the strength of our members. We've been around 170 years, which means we're not going anywhere. Um, And uh, and it's a really exciting organization to be a part of. And today, I would love you to join us. It costs £3 a month. If you're a couple, you can do it together. Um, and it's still £3 a month. There's a form here, and there's some forms on the table over there. would love you to join us um, for the cost of a cup of coffee every month. Um, and as a little thank you, if you join us today, um, I w- I'd love to give you um, a book about mission called Game Changers, written by my friend who's called Gav Calver. I um, would love to give you that. Um, a book about unity by my new boss, Steve Clifford, which is absolutely fantastic. talks about the power of unity in the church. Um, and a magazine called Idea, which is our magazine. And, and if you're a member, you get this every two months anyway. Please come and join us. Grab a form. And if you fill that in today and give it to me, I'll give you, give you those books and magazine just to say welcome, thank you. Um, and uh, together we can really make a difference in this country. Pitch over. Um, I'm, I love talking about sharing faith. And as I shared this morning, speaking about Jesus from a platform is brilliant. But the thing that gets me most excited is talking about faith with my mates. And um, I, I've used to, for 12 years, I worked for an organization called Youth for Christ. And... Um, Youth for Christ has to thank for its beginnings a man called Albert McMackin. And hardly anyone's ever heard of Albert McMackin. Albert McMackin was a really simple guy who was lived in America, and he had a passion, like you and me today, to reach our friends for Jesus. And he, uh, he basically had a mate called William. And he was desperate for William to come to know Jesus. And so he knew there was an evangelist in town, so he said, William, will you come with me? We've, we've done that thing sometimes, haven't we? We said, will you come to this event? And William invited his mate, Albert invited his mate William to this event. 
William refused time and time again until the last night of this event when, uh, when, when Albert said to William, it, will you come if I let you drive the bus? And William thought this was a, an offer too good to refuse. So he said, I'll come. I'll try, you like to drive in buses, apparently? So William drove the bus to the event, stood outside, and kind of got drawn in by the music, got drawn in by the talk. And that night, William heard the gospel for the first time and gave his life to Jesus. William is better known as a guy called Billy Graham. I'm going to forward to the next slide. And Billy Graham preached the gospel in his lifetime to 2.2 billion people. Isn't that amazing? Live at events like this, as you can see, there's a few people there, uh, to 215 million people. And at those events, millions came forward to give their lives to Jesus. One of those people was my dad. I'm here, not just because of Billy Graham, but because of Albert McMackin. And Albert McMackin couldn't do this. But Albert McMackin could invite his friend along to something and share his faith with him. And I think everyone can be an Albert McMackin and not necessarily Billy Graham. And so what I'd love you to do is turn to the people around you quickly and just share a couple of people in your life who are your Williams. Who are the people in your life, friends, families, who don't know Jesus, who you'd really like to? A couple of minutes, go. Is as we go through this afternoon's little moment to keep those people in the forefront of your minds, okay? So whenever we're talking about kind of what we're talking about, think keep those people in the forefront of your mind, okay? So the, the story of what I'm going to do, what we're going to do really simply uh, this afternoon is first of all look at a quick passage in the Bible um, to give us a bit of a framework um, and then look at some really practical things that we can do to help share our faith with those around us. Um, and so the, first, the kind of biblical story, I don't know if you're aware, can we have the next slide please? Um, the story where the four friends bring their friends to Jesus. And um, I love this story. I love this story really simply because without their, fr- without their friends, this guy never gets to Jesus. We're like the friends in the story, the hole in the roof. I've got lots of questions about that when I get to heaven. But these guys buried a hole, burrowed a hole in the roof, got their friends to Jesus because they knew Jesus was the only answer for them. And um, I think there's loads we can learn. It's a really good little story uh, to, to reflect on. Um, and the first thing I want to extra, some bolt on to make our lives a little bit better. You know, for, for, the, for the friends in the story, they knew the only way their mate was going to get sorted was by meeting Jesus. If our attitude is that our, Jesus will slightly improve the lives of our friend, like some kind of new website or a new product we're offering, then we'll never have that desperation. But w- our friends are broken. Our friends are hopeless without Jesus in this life and the next. We need our friends to meet Jesus if they're going to get sorted out. And with the same desperation, we need to, to, to bring, them, bring our friends to Jesus. I've got a mate called Dave. We've got a mate called Dave, haven't we? And um, my mate called Dave is from, is from, the, is from the West Midlands, like me. And, but he's, he's, he's been here longer, so he's got a bit of a thicker West Midlands accent. And I realise I'm amongst West Midlands people. I mean, you're critiquing my West Midlands accent right now, so I'm really sorry. Anyway, my friend, friend Dave, he needs Jesus. I've been, trying, I've been praying for Dave um, for about 15 years for him to come to know Jesus. And um, he was, his life was in a bit of a mess, so we went on holiday together, took him away with our family, and we're playing golf, we're terrible golfers, it took a really long time, we were hacking in bushes for most of the time, and after about nine holes, he kind of sits, he pours his life out to me, and he says, Phil, what shall I do? And I looked at him, and over 15 years of being a friend of someone, you earn the right to speak truth, don't you? And I said, Dave, your life is a mess. I said, I said the only thing you can do, I don't know what to do, the only thing you can do is give your life to Jesus and let him sort it out. And I'm praying, because I've been praying for years for this guy, and I'm praying that the next words that come out of his mouth are, what must I do to be saved? Instead, he turns to me and he goes, what's the second best option? <laughs> I was like, the truth is, there, there is no second best option, is there? So Dave, but Dave said, you know, what's the second best option? Anyway, um, a couple of, uh, in, in, early this year, in like June this year, 
um, I went to go and speak in Newcastle, and so I texted Dave and said, oh, can I come and stay with you, because that's where he lives now. And um, he texted me back and goes, yeah, that'd be great. Do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? And I was like, mate, you're not a Christian. How does it work, the non-Christian inviting the Christians to church? I said, that'd be great. So we went along. He, went, he wanted to go to church because he'd met a girl, and he quite liked the girl, and the girl went to church. <laughs> that's okay. We'll take whatever. Flirts convert. Absolutely fine. So we go to church, and, and we get to this really, like, traditional Methodist-like chapel. And it's a sea of grey hair, apart from me, Dave, and the girl he fancies. And, and then comes the great song, Amazing Grace, if we can have the words up for it. And I didn't know many of the songs, which, being a professional Christian, is unusual. But, but Amazing Grace comes on, and I'm there, and I'm worshipping a little bit like many of us are worshipping this morning. Hands in the air, really going for it. Oh, man, really going for it. And um, a few weeks later... Uh, Dave goes against this church, and he, he calls me up afterwards, and he says, Phil, been back to that church. They're still talking about your singing. And I'm like, fantastic. But I'm trying to express to Dave the reason I was singing so loudly. And I said, Dave, well, the reason I'm singing so loudly is because it's amazing grace. It's not kind of some additional extra. I said, I said it's, it's amazing grace, not average grace. I decided to rewrite amazing grace. In fact, I rewrite things. But I rewrite amazing grace for, for, for how often we think, which goes like this. Average grace, how bland the sounds, that slightly improved my life. I went to church and liked the songs, and now I have to be nice. The, the, the truth is, it's, it's not, is it? It's amazing grace. That's why we sing. That's why it's not an additional extra. The reason that the friends bring the man in the story to Jesus is because it's amazing grace. Um, the, the second thing is, it's a team game. I love the fact there's four of them. And I think so often what we do is we bear the burden of reaching our friends just on our own. And I think one of the best things we can do for our friends is introduce them to people who aren't Christians, who are Christians. Our mates who aren't Christians introduce them to other Christian mates, and they see the rich tapestry and realize we're not just the only weird one, but there's a few else, few others of us. And actually trying to find moments where we can make those connections can be really, really helpful, I've found. Um, but also, it's lonely as well, isn't it? And it can be full of discouragements. So when you're trying to reach your friends, talk to your other Christian mates about that. Encourage one another, pray together, pray together for your non-Christian mates. And uh, that can be really powerful. Um, we're going to quickly flick through. The, and can we have, go to the, the, next, the next one, please? When I was at school, I had three mates, um, Matt, John, and Ads. I want to just encourage you and discourage you at the same time by talking about my, my mates I was at school with. So I went to school in Hansworth, and we'd get the bus from Quinton, um, or Harbord in the case of Max. He was a bit posher. Um, through, to, through to Hansworth in the mornings. And um, over the course of the, the years when I was a teenager, desperately to search, trying to see some of these guys come to know Jesus. And um, John actually is the guy whose girls come to youth group at Life Central, who still isn't quite there yet. And 25 years down the line, still praying for him to come to know Jesus. Matt, um, uh, when we were 21, I took him to, I invited him on a Christian camp, and um, he became a Christian, but then went to university and lost his faith. And I, I still have a lot of pain around that. Do you know what, share, when you share your faith, it's really painful, because often there's a rejection moment, but also even worse, sometimes people become Christians, then turn away, and you take a lot of personal responsibility, and it's hard. Finally, adds, adds, um, adds, when, adds a couple of years after Matt became a Christian, and he's still following Jesus. And do you know what, I can't tell you how amazing it is to, to, to go to church with my mate who wasn't a Christian, who now is, whose life's completely different. And I want to encourage you. First of all, it takes time. I met these guys when I was 10, 11. And actually, it takes sometimes over, over a decade. There are some people I've been praying for, like John, for 20 years to come to know Jesus. It takes time. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't happen in a week. But also, it's the joys and the sorrows. But the encouragements far outweigh the discouragements.
So, how uh, might we begin to kind of go about this? Well, what I'd love you to do, um, uh, to the next one please, is turn to the person next to you quickly and share the kind of books that you read or the TV programs you watched when you were little. Go. Anyone want to share some, some let's, let's take a, a walk down Nostalgia Road. Anyone want to share the kind of books they read or uh, stories they listen to or TV programs they watch when they're little? Enid Blyton. I used to love a bit of Enid Blyton. Very good. Love all that. Anyone else? Comics. The Dandy. The Beano. Can't beat it. Fantastic. What else, what else are you talking about? Scooby-Doo. Where are you? Fantastic. Very good. Anyone else? The Hobbit. Thunderbirds. Fantastic. I'm really annoyed for Thunderbird and football fans. I'm really annoyed that Virgil van Dijk has become the most famous Virgil in the world. I'm really, really annoyed about that. But again, anyone else over here? Black Beauty. Tiz was. Magic Roundabout. Very good. Fantastic. Brilliant. I can I also say, wonderful conversation start with anyone you meet. Talk to about about what they watched when they were little. It's a wonderful conversation start. Anyway, but the um, words are really powerful, aren't they? You know, I remember when. Um, I would, you know, people would say horrible things to me at school. And I'd come back and sometimes my parents would say, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. I've worked with young people for 12 years. I I know the power of words to destroy or build up a young person's life. I remember um, when uh, when I finished my exams, um, my A-levels, my parents were really like, I, to be honest, I needed it because I, I was not rubbish at revision. But they were really like hard on me in terms of revising. And the day of my last exam, I woke up. and on the, My dad was a lawyer. He worked in, in Birmingham. Um, and, and I woke up, and on the side of my, be- my bedside table was a letter in my dad's handwriting. And he said, well, at these exams, we want you to know we won't love you anymore if you do really well. And we won't love you any less if you do badly. We're really for you. We're cheering you on. I remember. That was a while ago, 18 years ago. And I remember those words. Because words we remember, don't we? Words are powerful. In fact, the universe was literally spoken into being. God said, let there be light. Spoke some words and the universe was spoken into being. Words are powerful. Um, But stories potentially are even more powerful. The reason that we remember the things that we watched and the stories we read when we were little is that stories are incredibly powerful. And what I want to tell you, there's the big picture, the big principles of sharing faith I want to share with you today is I think sharing faith is all about stories and it's all about relationships. And um, uh, the, the... we, we remember stories for really, really good reason. And that is because some really funky brain chemistry goes on when we hear stories. So, for example, um, did you know that facts are 20 times more likely to be remembered if they're encapsulated in a story? What's even more fascinating is they've scanned people's brains when, um, when, uh, when stories are being told. And they found that the brain releases certain chemicals as you do. So, for example, um, there's a chemical called cortisol. And cortisol makes you pay attention. So when people are telling stories, cortisol locks your attention in. And there's another chemical called oxytocin, which is the chemical that bonds a baby and mother. And it makes you feel empathy. Have you ever wondered why you kind of find yourself crying inexplicably <laughs> when you kind of, you know, you watch a box set on TV or something? Well, that's because oxytocin is being released in your brain, making you feel empathy for the characters in the story. And dopamine is a really happy chemical um, and is produced when we take silly substances. That same chemical is released when we, when we turn that page at the end of a book and a happy ending comes. Powerful chemicals. What's even more fascinating is they've scanned the brains of people hearing stories when stories are being told 
and they found, if we can have the next slide up please, that the exact same chemicals are released in exactly the same places as the person telling the story, as the person hearing the story. Isn't that amazing? Aren't we fearfully and wonderfully made? It's as if Jesus knew what he was doing when, you know, when he told stories. Because Jesus told stories, didn't he? You know, when, we, when he was talking about the, the depths of the, of, the, of, of, you know, the universe, he, was, he said, a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. A man went out to sow some seed. There was a, a father who had two sons. Jesus told stories to communicate. And I think evangelism, in part, is all about stories. The other beautiful thing about stories is that um, I think they're really relevant for today's age. Capture a moment in time. It's all about your Insta story or your Snapchat story. Our music videos, they're not just a band playing, are they? They tell a story. Do you know that Nike, every one of their kind of chief executives, has a full-time storyteller assigned to them to help tell the story of the brand. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that amazing? That actually in, in, in a sacred and secular world, story is really powerful. So... Let's first of all talk about the first of the stories that I think we need to know and focus on um, as people who need to share faith. That is God's story. If we have a green circle up, please, that'd be great. So in Evangelion, I think there's three stories. And um, the first is God's story. And uh, we, I think as evangelists, we need, to, we need to be able to... We have the greatest story ever told. But we need ways of encapsulating the whole of the story, the whole of the story of God into a short few sentences. That makes sense for people today. Um, let me tell you a story to tell you the whole story of God. So uh, there was a, a few years ago um, in Turkey, there was an earthquake. And um, a, a, one of the things that I've, uh, you can imagine, devastating scenes, the scenes that you see on BBC News, and, and at the heart of this earthquake was this primary school. And you can imagine the terror as parents kind of come around the corner to, to see the school where they've dropped their kids off that morning. To see it flattened, to see rubble and words, and, 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 and the, you imagine the smells and the... And, and the taste in the air. Anyway, these parents come round, and, and in the midst of these parents is his one dad, and his dad is crying out in the middle of it, Armand, Armand, Armand's the name of his son. Armand, Armand, Armand. So he runs to, to, the, to the bricks and, and, and the mortar and, and the glass and the wood, and he starts pulling bits out of the way and chucking them aside, searching for his son. Armand, Armand, Armand. And other parents kind of come up to him and, and are saying, and saying, it's no good, you're never going to find your son, it's completely hopeless. And he turns to them and he said, either join me or leave me alone, I'm going to find my son. Armand, Armand. Hours pass, gets dark, keeps going. His voice gets more hoarse. His hands begin to, begin to the skin begins to peel off with the, with, the, with the weight of the bricks. His arms begin to ache. Armand, Armand, Armand. 12 hours passes, 24 hours passes. After 37 hours, he moves a bit of wood to reveal a, a cavity. Two pair of eyes look up at him. One pair of eyes turns to the other pair of eyes. This is, I told you, my daddy, you've come. That is a story that tells the story of God. Because since the very beginning of time, God has pursued us. He's wanted a relationship with us. He's wanted to save us. He's wanted to do whatever it takes. Because we're his children. And we need ways to encapsulate this beautiful story. And your first bit of homework, I'm going to give you some homework, that's great. First bit of homework is to find a way to communicate the story of God. If someone said to you, what's, what's Christianity about? What would you say? See, I, I think one of the big challenges that we face, a verse in uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3 verse 15, says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for that that you have. 
And there have been times, I'm a youth worker, so often we'll, you know, we'll go to my country, kind of church youth club, and you know, now and again a kid just goes, why are you a Christian? And there moments where I've been like, oh, I've forgotten. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And there moments where I've been with my mate when I've been hanging out with John or, or Dave, and when I was a teenager hanging out with Ads and others, and, and, and something comes up and I'm like, I'm not prepared. First thing we need to know is, is know the story of God. And if someone says to us, why you, what's Christianity about? We'll have a really good answer. Can I have the um, four points? I mean, often, keep going, keep going. Oh, that's the earthquake. Keep going. Brilliant. Um, I found this a really helpful thing, just as a really simple, simple way of doing it. But actually, this, the, the, these four symbols say God loves us. We've messed up. Jesus died for us. We need to make a decision. And it, it, that is obviously not the whole gospel. But if someone said, if you, you know, if you're on a bus and they're about to get off, <laughs> you know, that's a really good way of, of, of just communicating this is the Christian story. But finding different ways and different aspects of the Christian story is really, really important. But if someone said to you, what's Christianity about? What would you say? And your bit of homework. I'm not coming back to test you. I'm not one of those teachers. Um, but, but I'll ask Leon to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, please, pl- please have an answer to that story. So that's the first story. Second story. Can I have the blue circle, please? Second story. Um, is that we have a story. And um, I don't know about you, as I shared this morning, um, one of the times I kind of decided to follow Jesus and recommit my life to him was, was here in this building. And um, I, I grew up in a Christian family. I, I, I kind of was going to church. My parents dragged me along as a fetus, which I thought was unfair. And I went, Where's my choice there, you know? Um, but I grew up in a Christian and someone would stand on stage, and they would say, do you know what, my life was terrible. And I took drugs, you know, I, I killed people, I used to kick animals just for the fun of it. You know, they would just talk about how bad their life was. Then they'd say, and then I became a Christian, and my life changed. And I'd, I'd watch these people on stage going, that's great, but my story's really boring. Because for me, I grew up in a Christian family, I came to an event at something like this, someone told me that Jesus loved me, died for me, and rose again, and that I could be his friend and go to heaven when I die. I thought that sounded pretty cool, and decided to follow him. That that was kind of my that was kind of my story, and um, and I used to think, therefore, I didn't have a story, and that no one was interested in my story and the impact that God had on my life. My experience has been that when I talk about and when I think about and when I reflect on and come up with some good answers to the impact that Jesus has on my life, non-Christians are fascinated. They really want to know more, and they recognise that the experience that I've had is actually really really important. And so my, my second bit of homework is for you to think about. And what I'd love you to do actually in a moment is, is maybe even talk about. And people, if people ask, ask you the question, why are you a Christian? What's God ever done for you? Um, what would you say? And I wanna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring a few questions to help us reflect on that. Because I think what, often what we do is we just talk about the moment we became a Christian. And that's not the whole story, is it? If I, if I when I was talking about my relationship with my wife, Danny, I just talked about my, our first kiss or the moment we got engaged or even our marriage, that wouldn't sum it up, would it? Because our life is so much more than that, has been more than that since, in 10 years of marriage. And so, I'm going to ask you some questions. Would you love you to just reflect on them, but then when you're ready, turn to the person next to you, and just begin to answer some of those questions. And imagine, maybe, that a non-Christian has asked them to you, and your friend that you thought about at the beginning just said, why are you a Christian? What's God ever done for you? And what you would say in that situation. Can we have the questions up, please? So, think about the answer to some of these questions. When were the times that you knew God was real? What would your life be like without God in it? How does faith give you a way of understanding the world? And when have you known God to be close? And then the other encouragement I'll give you is try to think about the kind of the words that you'd use. Because actually the words we've talked about are really, really important. So things like belonging. 
and forgiveness and identity. I know who I am. That was, that was born a bit of a theme for today, isn't it? What, think about some of those, those ways of expressing it. And then I'd love you just to turn to people around you. And you can do a couple of things. You can, first of all, do a bit of role play, if you really like. And would, you know, how would you begin to answer that question? Or you'd actually begin to think, what are the words that I would use? And what's my reflection on why I'm a Christian, what God's done for me? Etc. Turn to people around you. You've got a couple of minutes to do this. Time is short, unfortunately. So it's your homework to go and do this. You can do it with your friends and family if you want. Go. Great. So go, go, go. Okay. Just just because I'm interested and nosy, um, who fa- who's kind of done that before and found that quite an easy kind of thing to do? Great. Yeah. A few, that's good. It's good. Who found that really difficult? Great. A few people. Yeah. Great. Okay. Who, so everyone else, I guess, is in the middle somewhere. Great, so you've got some good homework to do. But really want to encourage you to do that um, because there, there are just various moments. I, th- I remember for me, the first time I really got to share my story with, with Adam, and, uh, Adam and Matt and John. We were on a bus and um, uh, I, I, Matt was like a real, like, you know, really kind of like into the girls and just was having you know, like numerous girlfriends all at once. And, um, and kind of he, was, uh, he had the, the, the classic kind of 15-year-old lad dilemma as to which girl he you know, need to sleep with next. It was, you know, really hard times for him. And uh, so he turns to me and he says, he says, Phil, what, what do you think? And I'm like, as if I'm going to give an opinion, do you know what I mean? And, and I said, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a Christian. So I don't, I, you know, I think you should like wait till you're married to have sex. And of course, at this point, like the drawers like hit the, hit the, bottom, the, the bottom of the bus. They're like, what? So then they were like, why, why, why are you a Christian? And suddenly there was opportunity and then the opportunity to share a bit of the story. And that was my first memory of kind of sharing that story with my mates on the bus. So kind of talking about the difference Jesus made in my life. And I'm sure it was, I did a terrible job, but by the grace of God, he used that, doesn't it? But, but the more the you get better at it, the more you practice. Uh, as someone who like, does a bit of speaking, the way I get better is by practicing. And um, I often, when, mostly when people are out of the house, I will stand in front of the mirror at home and practice speaking. On the way to kind of speak at evangelistic events, I'll kind of preach. The windscreen in my car has become a Christian on numerous occasions, you know, as I've, as I've come, that, come to do that. But, but that's how I do it, isn't it? And my encouragement is to, is to maybe even write it down, whatever helps you to get to a place where you're prepared and um, to give an answer to anyone asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Can I quickly tell you my story? That'd be okay. And uh, so for me, you kind of know the story up till kind of about the age of six or maybe the age of 12, where I kind of grew up in a Christian family, um, b- brilliant, beautiful Christian family in Quinton, down the road, um, and uh, loved life as a teenager. Life was pretty easy, actually, until uh, I kind of went to university, went to University of Sheffield, studied law, was having a great time. Um, and then uh, one Saturday, uh, my mum came to have lunch with me, um, and I got a phone call during, my, during lunch with mum. Um, from one of my friends, uh, one of mum's friends, and she said uh, some words I'll never forget. She said, Phil, I'm really sorry, but this morning your dad has died. And these words completely tore my life apart. 21 years old, did just completely tore my life apart. And in that moment, I had a choice with my family to say, do you know what, God, stuff you for letting this happen. I'm never following you again. I'll never step, step inside a church again. Or actually, God, we really need you right now. And for us and our family, our story is that we did the latter. And I've been a Christian ever since I was six years old or 12 years old or how many times I did it along the way. And um, the closest I've ever known God is in those first few weeks after that died. And I don't know why suffering happens, but I do know that God is there for us when our hearts are broken. Um, one of the most amazing things about following Jesus, it gives you real purpose and meaning in our lives and actually kind of being, being part of a church, seeking to make a difference in the community where we are. Um, joining Youth for Christ when I was 21 to, to, to tell young people about Jesus. 
um, has been a really key part of my job. But then the rubber's really hit the road for me in the last few years again, where my, where my dad died of a, of a heart aneurysm at 48. And so I've kind of got been through tests uh, to see if I have the same thing. And I do have the same condition that killed my dad at, at 48. And um, I have incredible hands. The NHS is unbelievable and looked after me really, really well. But there have been moments in the middle of the night where I've woken up and my heart's been going and you're not thinking straight and you think, am I about to die? And I can't tell you what a difference it makes knowing that God is with me in those moments. But also, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. And that, to this day, continues to make a difference. And that's my story. Um, and I would encourage you to do some homework and know yours. Um, a few things just about storytelling. Um, first of all... Um, with our non-Christian mates, but we can be reactive, as I was on the bus, when someone says, why are you a Christian then? Um, or we can be proactive. And actually sharing, with, when, 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 when built up a relationship with people, and you know your story, actually saying to someone, can I, share you my, can I tell you my story? No one ever really says no, if you're, afraid, if you're friends of one. And that. We're all super, too polite and British, aren't we? Uh, but actually having the opportunity to share in that environment actually can, can be really, really helpful. Um, the second thing is that... Um, I think we live in a real age of where people crave authenticity. That actually people are, want something that's real. And no matter what our story might be in terms of how boring we think it is, our story's authentic because it's us. And people want to hear people's stories. Um, and also, it's also really vulnerable. Even me just sharing that story with you now, even though I've done it a few times in, it, it, to, to individuals, and I feel vulnerable. There's a beautiful, beautiful quote about vulnerability, which says that vulnerability feels like weakness, but looks like raw courage. When people are vulnerable, when you look at the other person, you think they're being really courageous. For the person who's sharing, it feels really vulnerable. But for the person who's hearing, it looks courageous. Um, so yeah, so, those, so that, that, that's a little bit on, on our story. So the first thing is God's story. God has a story. We have a story. But there's a third story that we often don't talk about evangelism because we think evangelism is talking. But the best evangelists aren't just great talkers. They're really good listeners as well. Because the other person has a story. If we can have the purple circle up now. This I find so encouraging because there is a beautiful... I did a master's in mission evangelism a few years ago. And there's a beautiful principle in mission evangelism called Missio Dei. Let me hear you say Missio Dei. Beautiful. That's a little bit of Latin or Greek. I'm so going to remember. Um, and Missio, the principle of Mission Day is that God is at work in the world all the time. And so often I think we think that all of the responsibility of seeing our friends come to know Jesus depends on us. But God's already at work in their lives before you arrive on the scene. And I find that so encouraging. Um, and, uh, and frustrating sometimes at the same time. Um, I was reading uh, a few years ago, uh, Duncan Bannatines. You know the guy who is on Dragon's Den and there's a gym. Can we have Duncan's picture up? And I was reading his um, autobiography, and he talked about um, a moment that he had. He's really vulnerable. It's a book about business, but he talked about a moment that he had, and I'm going to read it for you. He says, for me, the tears came about 10 o'clock that night. My face was wet, my nose began to run, and I was a mess. For many minutes, I began to get the feeling I wasn't alone. It's Duncan Bannatines. I felt uh, I'd been consumed by this presence. That something had completely shrouded and taken hold of me. It was unmistakable. I knew who had come, and I also knew why. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a Christian thing. It was profound, and I stood there, stunned, considering the offer and thinking about what it would mean. I read that, and I was like, wow. Isn't that amazing? Duncan Ballantyne's a Christian. I was like, wow. Amazing. I read on. And God said, okay, and disappeared. 
And when I read those words, I moved now as I was then. Because he's just missed it. And I'm like, he's missed it. So first of all, I was really sad. I was like, absolutely good for him. Because I know what it means to follow Jesus. I know it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I know what God can do for you. I know that his eternal destiny is at stake. And then I was really encouraged because I thought, isn't that amazing that God's on the move? And that for even people who have no Christian in their life potentially, God can be at work in their lives. And then I got really angry because I was like, God, I've been praying for people for 20 years and they've never had experience like that. But I think it is a beautiful example of how God is at work in the world. And we should be encouraged by that. And we are not the first people on the scene. And God is at work in the lives of people around us. Someone once said to me that, um, that faithfulness in evangelism is preaching the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving results to God. And for people like Adam, I can't take the credit for when he comes to know Jesus. But also for people like Matt who walk away, I can't bear the despair. My job is to do my best and share my faith with him. May we be encouraged that God's already at work. But also, let's all go further because Jesus says in John 5.19, I only do what I see the Father doing. So there's a sense, he, he kind of, he's on the lookout for where God's at work in people's lives and seeks to join in. And I think for uh, expert evangelists, what they do is they kind of got their spiritual antenna out and listening and looking at the lives of people around them and just seeing where they can connect the story of God and their own story to the person's story. Um, let me give you some examples of that. Can we have a photo of the best looking girl in the world and the child up, please? Yes, well done, you found it. If that had been someone else, I'd have been really annoyed. This is my wife and, uh, and my little boy. Um, and Danny, um, she, uh, she didn't grow up in a Christian family. Her story is completely different to mine. She grew up in a, uh, in a family that didn't go to church. She became a Christian because when she was about 14 years old, her parents split up because her dad was an alcoholic. And he uh, left the house and her mum has some Christian friends who at that moment invited her to church. Isn't that beautiful? At the same time, she had an older sister and her Christian mates invited her to church. At the same time, she had an older brother and her older brother was at university. He's unbelievably clever. And um, he was at uh, Cambridge University and he sat pondering the meaning of life and basically decided one night he was going to work it out. I don't know how he did that. Uh, my brain isn't big as his. But he worked it out and he found out that the meaning of life must be Jesus. All this happened all at once because God's at work in the world. Isn't that brilliant? And then um, Danny kind of got dragged along. She was not the youngest one, so she started going to church. But if you were an evangelist to Danny, if you were Dan, one of Danny's mates, and you know the pain caused by her dad, the way you talk about Jesus, the way you talk about God is as a father who's there for her, won't let her down. And, um, and interestingly, when Danny did become a Christian, really struggled, as many girls do, with self-esteem. She found her identity because she read the Bible from cover to cover and found in there a father who loved her like her earthly one did. And that was her story. And so if you were talking to her, that's, that's the paradigm that you would bring in. That's the story, bits of the story that you bring in. Have the next photo, please. Uh, this is Ads. This is my friend Ads. When I was Ads' best mate when we were kind of like growing up through school. And Ads, kind of anti-Christian family. The best kind of, when I talked to Ads about Christianity to start with, he said um, that he thought Jesus was an astronaut 
who'd come down with advanced technological, technological knowledge, which is how he could do the healings and stuff. And he said that the churches had spires because they were like rockets trying to get back up to God. That, is gen- that, was, his, his, that was his theological kind of viewpoint um, that we started from. But also Ads was a, um, he, would, he was the most fun person to be around. He would like, he was just so fun. And he would often experience when we kind of got to our later teen. But because of those things, because he did all those things, he felt guilty for the things he'd done wrong. And for Ads, the moment that made the difference in Ads' life is he, we sat next to each other in a car, and he said, are you telling me, Phil, you don't feel guilty for anything you've ever done wrong? And I said, no. Oh, and that was an easy question, because Jesus forgive me, and he knew that I was no angel as a teenager. But also, when I talked to Ads about Jesus, I was saying, Jesus said, I've come that you must life in all its fullness. Because I knew that for Ads, fun and life were all really important. So the, the way I talked about God's story was linked into that life and that forgiveness. And after that chat in the car, Ads went home that night. And he, he, said, he said he had a moment where, he, uh, he didn't become a Christian at that He became a Christian in his bed that night where he lay in bed and spent all night trying to think of every, every wrong thing he'd ever done wrong. Said sorry to God for every single one and said he woke up the next morning a new person. Isn't that great? And, um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's Ads' story. And finally... This is some friends of ours called Tim and Clara, and uh, they came, they arrived on night one of an Alpha course at our church a couple of years ago, and um, they, uh, I, I was their kind of small group leader, if you've done Alpha, you're a small group leader, so that was the deal, and kind of when, you, when I spoke to them, there was this like real just darkness over their lives, and it was, I was like, wow, this is like mad, and um, the thing that they kept talking about was family, um, they both had real challenges with their family, Clara's from a Christian family, a really brilliant Christian family, because kind of her parents had, um, uh, because she'd not chosen to follow Jesus, and so she, there was a kind of void there. Tim had like a really mad like family background, um, and um, so when I was talking to them about faith in our Alpha Small Group, I would often talk about church's family, and, um, and God's your father, and that, that relationship is really key to the Christian faith. At the end of Alpha, they became Christians. They, um, they were living together at the stage, at that stage, and um, they, uh, at the end of Alpha, as they became Christians, they decided to get married, because they felt challenged and convicted to get married, and this is them on their wedding day, and um, over half the people on their wedding day, uh, last summer when they got married, were from the church. Isn't that brilliant? And the best man was actually Ads, who co-led Alpha with me, and so isn't that great? And we talk about family, because we're connecting, we find moments of connection in people's life, and try and connect them to God's story, and our own story. Fab. Right, so if we have the next kind of the Venn diagram thing up there. So this is, this is I guess, I, I, did, I only did maths as far as GCC, but I think this is a Venn diagram. Mathematicians, correct me if I'm wrong. And, and I think the secret of evangelism is bringing these circles close together. So how do we bring God's story and our story close together? Well, this is about, first of all, getting to know God better. It's about our relationship with God. The better we, the closer we are to God, the more our friends will encounter God when they encounter us, right? Um, this is also about knowing God's story. So um, the more we are involved and the more we know the story of God, the better we'll be at sharing our faith. Uh, let me give you, give you kind of um, uh, an example. My, my son, um, uh, can we have Peter Rabbit up, please? My son was well into Peter Rabbit. They've done ter- what have they done to Peter Rabbit? I mean, he, he used to, when I was reading Peter, Bar- Peter Rabbit, it was Beatrix Potter. I don't know what she'd think if she saw this. Goodness me. Anyway, this is what they do to Peter Rabbit. Anyway, so Caleb was obsessed with Peter Rabbit, and he would, um, whenever he would eat a, eat a banana, he'd say it was a carrot. 
um, when he'd say, could daddy, when I'd say, can daddy play with you? He goes, no, mummy's Lily, who's the pink one, if, if you're not au fait with the, the new Peter Rabbit and digital version. Anyway, so he would just be like constant. He would think he's Peter Rabbit. And the more he'd watch Peter Rabbit on the TV, the more like Peter Rabbit he would become. And um, to the extent that we dropped him off at nursery once, and he gets out of the car, and he starts doing this. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm Peter Rabbit. And I'm like, don't, you'll get beaten up. Don't, just walk properly like a normal person. <laughs> Here's the deal. The more we, more like the author, will become. And my encouragement to you is to throw yourself every day in the story of God. That will bring the, cl- the circles closer together. And the better you get to know God, the more people encounter you when they encounter, or you have people encounter Jesus when they encounter you. Second um, bit is, a, is, is, is the, the proximity of you to your friends. And this really simply is about being the best friend you can be. Do you know, I think we've got a real loneliness epidemic in our country at the moment. I think people are chronically lonely. I think for social media, we've never been con- connected, to more peop- we've connected to more people than ever before. But the quality of those connections has never been so poor. And um, I, um, I believe we, need to, we, we as Christians should be the best friends in the world. Jesus said, the way that people will know that you're my disciples is the way you love one another. For goodness sake, we have the relational God living inside us. We should be phenomenal at making relationships. We should be known for being brilliant friends. And the better friends we are, the better mate I am to John, the more he will encounter Jesus. The better friend I am to Dave, despite amazing grace and all that kind of stuff, the, better, the more he will encounter uh, Jesus. And um, I want to urge you to be a brilliant friend. And actually, you know, our friendship is as much a spiritual activity as reading the Bible or everything else. Um, be there for your friends in moments of crisis. Um, be a great friend. It's very simple. Um, finally, there's this little bit here, um, which to some extent is outside of our story, which is the connection between God's story and their story. Through prayer, amazingly, we can bring the story of God and the other person's story closer together. And I often, I, I even think that actually, great evangelism, great evangelism starts with prayer. The, um, uh, uh, I've encountered people, young people who have been running Christian unions in their school, and I, just, I say to them sometimes, how did this start? You know, people have come to faith and all kinds of things. And they just say, we just got together to start praying. We started praying for our friends. And a couple of things happen, I think, when you pray for your friends. First of all, I do think the, the circles come close together. The second thing is you begin to care loads more. You know, we've had people, the people I've prayed for year on year, day in, day out, for people to become Christians, I just care more. And actually with young people especially, and this might be the case for you, that actually you might have people in your life who you thought about at the beginning, who don't even know you're a Christian yet. The starting point might not even begin to tell them yet, but to begin to pray for them. And I promise you that if you pray for them, you will get to the point where you have the courage to tell them you're a Christian because you care more. And so what we do as a family every night is that we pray um, for a few people to come to know Jesus. So we, we pray every night as a family for Paul and Anna and Katie and Tom and Dave, Matt and John. That's what we do. Pray for those seven people every night in our family for people to come to know Jesus. Because it, and what that does, it, it makes us care more. The, um, the theologian D.L. Moody, he did that. He didn't have seven, he had a hundred. He was pretty holy. And he had a list, and, it, and clearly had lots of friends. So he had a list, before Facebook. And he had a list of a hundred people who he wanted to know, know Jesus. 96 of them became Christians during his lifetime. And he kept ticking them off. The final four became Christians at his funeral. Isn't that brilliant? You might not be as good as D.L. Moody, but we can all have a list of five, can't we? And my encouragement to you today is to think about those people and begin to pray for them. Um, 
can we have uh, the video? Is that all right? We've got this, I love this. There's a little video just to show. Um, yeah, this is it. Brilliant. Yeah. This is a great example of kind of prayer evangelism. Don't worry. This is, this is if you, you can Google it when you go. This is, unless Dan can fix it. This is a, a president with Bear Grylls. And they go on this. I don't know if you've seen it. They go on this expedition. And at the end of the expedition, Bear Grylls says to him, can I pray for you, Mr. President? And it's this beautiful moment. And he's like, yeah, great. And he got, you know, the president's like, you know, we're not far off the piano in the background. Bear Grylls puts his hand on his shoulder. Uh, don't worry, don't worry. And just says, um, and just prays a prayer over him. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And, um, uh, and I want to encourage you, a little bit like that story this morning, actually praying for our friends. I don't think I've ever known a friend who said no to prayer. And, and, uh, and, and my encouragement to you is that as, as, as you get to know your friend better and that trust builds, actually having moments of prayer can, can really make a, a real difference. So I thought we've got a few minutes left. I think the best thing to do would be now be to, to finish by praying for our friends. So why don't we all stand? And um, what we'll do is um, I'll pray at the beginning and end so it's not awkward. Um, and then what I'd love you to do, a few of us, why don't we just call out the names of our friends that we'd like to come to know Jesus? And at the same time, I want to urge you to commit to praying regularly for those until you can tick them off on your list or until you die and then they become Christians at your funeral. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the best story of all. We pray that we would be people who would be great at communicating it. We pray that we would be people who would be brilliant at following you but also being great friends. And today, God, we pray for our friends. We lift up each name today. We ask that you would hear from heaven. And we pray that in, in the years to come, they might come to know you. Maybe even today, you might do something like a banatine on people and um, they might come to know you. So God, today I pray for John. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. Thank you that you have appointed them to be good news to those around them. And Lord, I pray that uh, all, the, all the names that we've called out today will be people who enter into a relationship with you and who know you. And I pray even that some of the guys in this room might see other guys in this room, or even me in the years to come, and say, do you remember we had that seminar and we prayed for Steve? Well, Steve's become a Christian. Lord, we, I, we really pray that you might do something amazing. Help us to be the very best people we can be, but we pray for those people. May we be faithful in prayer. May we be great friends. And may we know your story and our story. Please help us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>